Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class, a production of iHeartRadio. Hello and happy Friday. I'm Holly Fry. And I'm Tracy V. Wilson. Tracy, we talked about vacuum cleaners this week. We sure did. (laughs) I ended up really enjoying researching this way more than I would have anticipated because I'll confess, I'm a pretty mediocre housekeeper. Yeah, same. I'm like a C, C minus, depending. (laughs) But then every once in a while, I get a B in my bonnet and I go crazy and just clean like the Dickens. And then I forget about it again for a while. Um, One thing that I thought was really interesting was how any time there was a move forward in vacuum cleaner or any kind of cleaning technology, it was that thing where um, everybody tries to run to where the lightning just struck so they can get some of their own. Yeah. And, like, some of that was localized in such a way that kind of cracked me up. Like, we talked about the Bissells, and they were from Grand Rapids, Michigan. Shout out to my relatives there. Um, But Grand Rapids kind of for a while became this really hyper-competitive market after their success, where suddenly there were six new companies trying to make basically the same kind of product in that one place, which to me is always kind of fascinating. I'm like... Is it just because they were local and it spread to them really quickly and they wanted to replicate it and thought that was a good business model to try to compete with the person that invented this new version? Or I don't know. I'm not a, a business person, so I wouldn't, <laughs> wouldn't Well, know. and it's one of those things when uh, where when there are lots of different companies that are working on the product, the competition can you know, lead to refinements or efficiencies or whatever that, like, that's all a thing. But then there are also cases where it's like, this is 15 different knockoffs of the same one thing. And they're all in one town. That's where they all come from. I guess in terms of, like, your labor force, if someone didn't like working for one company, it's probably easy to find another job. So that's a benefit. But it does seem strange to me how quickly the exact same product started being made in very close proximity. Yeah. One other thing I wanted to mention that I thought was really interesting, and it didn't really, uh, I mean, I just, the episode was plenty long, and I didn't want to go deeply into it, but that Crystal Palace cleaning was big news for a couple of reasons, right? We mentioned that there had been some spotted fever issues uh, with the, the Royal Navy training that was going on there, and how that really helped it a lot. Spotted fever being caused by ticks, of course. But um, Mm -hmm. this was like a huge boon to the idea of vacuum cleaning in general because people realized with, you know, a pretty good example right before them at a large scale of how much cleanliness improved hygiene and health. Like, they really were like, there are health benefits to doing this. Of course we should all start getting our homes vacuum cleaned, uh, which was, of course, again, a huge boon to Booth's business because then he was like, no, I can help keep you healthier in addition to just keeping everything looking pretty. Um, And that kind of became a huge... Between that and royal endorsements, vacuum cleaners, woo. Uh (laughs) It's all kind of a tangle, too, because there's the part of, like, yes, there's actual hygiene stuff involved. Mm-hmm. But then there's also, like, the the unrealistic standard of what a person's home should look like and who is in charge of doing that. <laughs> yes. 
Yeah, I'm uh, like I said, I'm a mediocre housekeeper. My very best friend is the polar opposite of me. I swear hospitals could go to her for training on how to keep something clean. Because even when her son was very tiny, she just trained him to clean. And so even though her house was mostly white, there are no stories of like, and then we had to replace everything in the living room. Like it was never... I don't know how she does it, but I don't. When I'm on vacation with her in places, she just points to places and is like, I wish I could dust that. Like, she just loves it. It's her thing. (laughs) I don't have that reaction to anything. (laughs) I'm more like, my house is haunted house themed. We got a haunted mansion thing. So I don't have to dust that's ambiance. But um, (laughs) just a very different approach to the whole thing. Uh, And I promised I would tell you how our Roomba died. Um, This is an early model Roomba. Um, and it is a story of our uh, a recently departed cat, Mr. Burns. Um, and it is such a fun story about him and is so exemplary of his general behavior that it is fun to share. So Mr. Burns is was one of those cats who was freakishly smart and freakishly stupid at the same time. Like, he could figure out mechanical things, but in ways that were dangerous to him. Like, I've told people before about how he learned how to turn the burners on on the stove and, like... That's not smart. Um, So so, um, we had a Roomba that we had gotten. I think we got it as a refurbish. We didn't get it brand new because we probably couldn't have afforded it at the time. And, you know, when you used to start the old school Roombas, I haven't had a newer one. I have a different brand of of little robotic cleaner now that we didn't use for a long time because of Mr. Burns. But when you first started it, it would make this little mini song of going do, 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 do before the motor started up and it started moving. Mm -hmm. And we woke up in the night one night to hearing that sound come from another room. And it was like boop, 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 boop. And the button for the Roomba was right on top. And what had happened was Mr. Burns had gotten on top of the Roomba, I don't know, to sit. I can't imagine he actually meant to turn it on. He wanted to go for a ride. As I sat up in bed, I literally watched what looks like a cat driving a vacuum down the hallway past our doorway. And I was like, what is going on here? And the problem was, I believe that to have been an accident initially, but it gave him a taste for mobility freedom because after that, he always wanted to turn the Roomba on and ride it around. And Mr. Burns, particularly as he aged, was a softig cat. He was not skinny. He put on a lot of weight. And so he actually burned out the motor <laughs> in the room. Oh. <laughs> so it could no longer move. It would still go in reverse. So I think he actually burned out the gears. It would still go in reverse, which would be fine, except it wouldn't do suction in reverse. So he just made himself a reverse car for a little while before we... Got rid of our our beloved Roomba that was named Count Floyd, and then it was gone. Kidding. <laughs> Kidding. <laughs> so if you have a cat, I know of other people whose cats have turned on their their floor vacuums, their robotic vacuums. Uh, and just, uh, you know, as long as they don't get quite so pudgy as Mr. Burns, you're probably fine. But he exceeded that, that vehicle's weight limits mm-hmm. and destroyed it. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, so that's my funny story of how our Roomba was destroyed. No, that is no, um, you know, shade to Roomba or their manufacturer at all. It was not made to carry a cat around. No one was like, I would like an 18-pound cat to be able to drive this around the house for fun and leasure. No one says that when they're developing (laughs) a a floor vacuum, but that's, that's what happened. Um, so if you have funny stories similar, please share them because I love them. Uh, that's at HistoryPodcast at iHeartRadio.com.
one of our episodes this week was on Arturo Alfonso Schomburg, who, as I said in the episode, someone I'm embarrassed that I only became curious about in this very recent moment, having just found a random mention of his name in another article. I find him fascinating. I'm enormously grateful for all of the work he did to put this collection together. He was not at all the only person who was collecting books, specifically books by and about Black people, but uh, he he made an enormous collection that continues to make an enormous contribution to the world. Um, The one thing that we didn't get into into the podcast that is kind of you know, an oversight on his part, but something I don't really feel like I can criticize him a ton for is that his focus was mostly on men. <laughs> Most of the work he collected was by men. Most of the people he associated with in his life and work were men. Um, it's one of those things where it's like, I I wish he had uh, had some more gender equity in what he was doing, but also given the period that he was in and the society that he was associating with it's unsurprising. Right. He would have been even more of an outlier had that been the case, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm also... I'm... uh, It's one of those things where this is 100% speculation, but I, I wonder if one of the reasons that he fell from view in a lot of ways after his death um, was because the communities that he was part of uh, here in the U.S., um, didn't quite embrace him. Like, he was th- he was seen with some suspicion within the Black community because of his Puerto Rican heritage, and then he was also seen with some suspicion in the Puerto Rican and Cuban communities because of his Black heritage. And so as those communities were intentionally documenting and resurfacing figures from their own pasts, neither quite claimed him in that way. Right. Uh, yeah, I mean, that makes all of the logical sense in the world, right? I can easily see someone going, I don't know if this person fits in with what we're doing, and moving on, and then not revisiting his his work or his legacy. Yeah, it's uh, it's hard to, to say, having not, you know, personally grown up in Puerto Rico and having only been there once, whether he is more well-known as, like, a a more household name there. He does have streets and squares and things named after him in the Caribbean, um, more so than in the United States. Uh, And so more recently, when more things have have been named for him and uh, he's become slightly more recognized more recently outside of the context of the Schomburg Center, which, again, is an enormous and important resource. It does, it always fascinates me when people are very, very willing to embrace the beneficial work of someone while simultaneously criticizing their very identity that led them to do that work. Yeah. It's a little like, (laughs) oh, oh. (laughs) Yeah. Um, A lot of the people that have written about Schomburg have talked about how you know, he, like many, many people um, who grew up in the Caribbean when he did, and people in the United States when there was just not as much widely available education unless you were white. Like, a lot of people were self-taught. 
But also, a lot of the people that were in the academy that he was in all had degrees, and he was uh, really able to just, like, hold his own in that community in a lot of ways, while also sometimes being criticized and and dismissed for uh, for not having that academic background. People have noted that, like, he was, he was really good at collecting. He didn't have uh, the academic background that would lead to, like, analysis of the things that he collected, um, which, in my mind, it was, it's like, okay, fine, that's somebody else's work in that case. <laughs> like, he was doing all this work of finding all of these uh, these uh, published works, in some cases by first tracking down the name of the person whose work he could go find. Because, um, you know, the, a, lot of the, a lot of the people that he was trying to find publications by were not people whose names had become widely circulated in any way. Um, we also touched on it, but did not go into a lot of detail that, like, the reason he was able to build this huge collection on the salary uh, of the job that he had was that that people were not charging a lot of money for most of this work. So I found noted in a couple of places that, like, he bought um, he bought two volumes of Phyllis Wheatley's poems for something like 20 or 30 cents. And, like, that, the fact that that, that was the amount of value that, that book dealers were putting on this work is why he was able to get it all and preserve it all and sell it all to the New York Public Library. Yeah, that's always an interesting thing. I, um... I know I've said on the show before I used to work for a university library and and worked in acquisitions. So I, I did always marvel at things and their value and what determined their value. And I can only imagine, I mean, that was in the late 90s and early 2000s. So I can only mm-hmm. imagine in the early part of the 20th century how much more cockamamie some of it seemed, and especially when informed by racism kind of driving the bus of devaluation. For sure. So yeah, I uh, I am tremendously glad that the Schomburg Center exists today. Um, I'm glad he did so much foundational work that allowed it to exist. Maybe when <laughs> when uh, when I'm more into traveling, because you know we're both fully vaccinated. I still haven't gone anywhere uh, aside from in my own community yet. Uh, maybe at some point I can make a trip to New York and actually go there in person. Um, pending it's also being open to the public which i have not checked on at this point yet but uh yeah very grateful that i got the chance to work on this episode we hope if you are heading into your weekend that it is a marvelous time and that if you have time off that you enjoy it completely and you find ways to recharge and just take time for yourself if you have to work this weekend and it's not your weekend in that sense we hope that whatever you have to do is as smooth as possible and that everyone is nice to you and that uh you come out of it unscathed we will be here tomorrow with a classic and then next week with new episodes stuff you missed in history class is a production of iHeartRadio. for more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you listen to your favorite shows